Hello everyone, and thank you for joining us on this third episode of The Expert Review. Expert Review is a Harney's podcast series which hosts selected guests and friends who are experts in their field to discuss hot topics in governance, regulation and tax with a focus on issues that are the challenges faced by us as advisors, our clients and the wider community. There have been two Expert Review episodes so far, the first covering economic sanctions and the second discussing beneficial ownership transparency. Today's episode will be on data protection with a particular focus on international transfers of personal data under the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, and beyond. Our episode today will be the first of two parts on this topic, with the second part to be aired during our next episode of Expert Review. My name is Elena Mantrelli. I am a senior associate at Harneys in our investment funds and regulatory team. We are joined today by Phil Lee, partner in Field Fisher's leading privacy, security and information law group in London. I am delighted to have Phil join us as he is a leading data privacy lawyer with experience on both sides of the Atlantic, having previously set up Field Fisher's office in Silicon Valley. Thank you for having me. Particularly relevant to our topic today will be his experience with multi-jurisdictional data privacy projects and international data transfer arrangements. Now, by way of a painfully short overview of the issues relevant to today's discussion, which Phil will also uh, delve into more, more deeply, um, the GDPR, with the exception of certain whitelisted jurisdictions, requires that specific steps are taken by data exporters in order to legitimize transfers of personal data to jurisdictions outside of the European Economic Area. Additional considerations have since been introduced also by the Schrems II decision, which was handed down by the Court of Justice of the European Union, uh, which effectively increases the requirements on data exporters to assess whether the personal data being transferred will enjoy in the jurisdiction of its destination uh, protections which are equivalent to those available in Europe. Now, this of course raises all sorts of questions as to how to implement these requirements, um, potential conflict with the rules of other jurisdictions and other such considerations, which we will discuss today. So Phil, starting then with Schrems 2, what would you say are the main challenges, not just legal, but also practical that you see businesses facing in terms of implementing Schrems 2? It's a really good question. And I think before I can sort of answer it properly, I probably just need to give a very quick overview of how sort of EU data export rules work and what Schrems 2 added to them. So the, the basic rule we have uh, under the GDPR is that if you were sending personal data outside of the EU, then you need to put in place uh, what we call appropriate safeguards. Uh, and appropriate safeguards basically means in most cases that you have to have a set of contractual terms in place based on a standard template published by the European Commission. And you'll hear people refer to this, this contract as, uh, as the standard contractual clauses. And so what you have is you have a party in the EU that's sending data to a party outside of the EU and they put the standard contractual clauses in place. That bit's relatively straightforward because it's a standard form contract. Hmm. What Schrems 2 did though, was to kind of challenge that and say, well, actually, when you are sending data to uh, non-European jurisdictions, those contractual terms uh, on their own may not be enough. If you were transferring data to, uh, to a country that has a, a government surveillance regime, then actually you know, contract terms are gonna do very little to protect uh, the data against surveillance by government authorities. And so 
ultimately what the court ended up saying, this is the, the Court of Justice of the EU, they said that when you're transferring data to another country, you need to do a risk assessment. You'll hear people call them transfer impact assessments. You need to do a risk assessment of that country's laws and the protections it affords the data. And to check whether the recipient country can provide an essentially equivalent level of protection for the data that it receives. And if it doesn't, then the data exporter and the data importer, in addition to putting in place these contracts, they need to put in place what we call supplementary measures mm -hmm. to provide that essentially equivalent protection for the data. And those supplementary measures could be a mixture of additional contractual terms, it could be organizational measures, and probably most importantly, they include technical measures, um, you know, things like encryption to prevent uh, third parties, government authorities having access to this data. Now, the practical challenges that creates for a lot of organizations, I guess, a sort of threefold. One is, um, you know, if you're, a, if you're a small or medium enterprise and you're suddenly presented with these contractual terms that you need to implement when you're sending data or receiving data internationally, you know, unless you have in-house lawyers or uh, external privacy counsel on tap, you're just not going to know what it is you're signing. So your ability to comply with those terms is going to be seriously impaired. That's problem number one. The second problem is this idea around conducting um, risk assessments of the countries that you're sending data to. Now, you mentioned in your overview that um, there are some countries that are whitelisted, they're considered to be safe. And essentially what has happened there is that the European Commission has examined those jurisdictions and found them to be safe countries. And when it does that, it has a team of experts who review those countries' laws. The process takes a couple of years. But essentially what we're asking businesses to do here is to conduct their own assessments of these uh, non-EU countries and decide whether or not they're safe. And put frankly, they don't have the expertise or the resource or the knowledge to, to conduct those assessments. And so you're asking them to do something that is almost an impossible task for them. That's problem number two. And then the third problem is this requirement that you have to put in place supplementary measures when you transfer the data. Uh, you, and part of the challenge there is that the guidance we've had from the regulators basically says that in may, many cases, unless the data is encrypted in the EU before it's sent, and the encryption key is kept in the EU such that the data can never be decrypted outside of the EU, that the data transfer just isn't going to be safe. Now, if you're working with international service providers, by necessity for those service providers to be able to do things with the data, to provide their services, they have to access the data, at least temporarily, in decrypted form. So if they can never do that, if the data can never be decrypted outside of the EU, you effectively prevent any use of international service providers. So we have those three problems. But I mean, obviously, you, you advise on these issues too. So how are you finding businesses and some of the smaller jurisdictions are, are, are dealing with this problem? What sort of steps are they taking? Yeah, so I think that was that was an excellent summary of of the thought process that someone both both on you know of a smaller size when they're sending out, but also on the receiving end, especially if they're not familiar with the GDPR in in terms of what they're facing. I think the um, the more niche considerations that we see when it comes to smaller jurisdictions is that of course. You may be a small business, but you're aware of GDPR because let's say, you know, maybe you're not able, like you're saying, operationally to respond properly or to, to the full extent in terms of resources to the issues raised. But if you're if you're a business in a smaller jurisdiction that doesn't have a privacy regulation framework of the type that GDPR is, then obviously when you're faced with a request, either the standard contractual clauses 
um, or you know um, issues surrounding in input on, for example, your jurisdiction, you're not really well versed in something as complicated as that. And the important thing there is that the data processing in these smaller jurisdictions may often not be the main focus of that relationship. Um, it's kind of a side point, it's purely a compliance point. So the, there is a learning curve effectively to first of all, understand what the European legal requirement is in the first place, and then also how it translates locally where there may not be a way to map it in a, in a way that is equivalent to the GDPR in the sense that those frameworks may be a lot simpler. There is also, of course, the practical point that this takes time, and that's also something that businesses don't necessarily have. <laughs> uh, but that isn't necessarily a point about smaller jurisdictions. I think that probably applies globally uh, to, all, to all parties involved. Um, the other thing that I'm, I'm finding quite interesting is also smaller jurisdictions may have reference to GDPR, but they may not necessarily have delved into the depths of uh, detail that GDPR does. And I think what will be interesting in the future will, to see, will be to see how um, conflicts of laws may emerge, not necessarily intentionally, intentionally, but it will be interesting to see how we will be able to deal with potentially conflicting requirements um, in that respect. Now, Sticking, I suppose, on the on the challenges of small jurisdictions, but also businesses, um, I think there's also the challenge of small European businesses that wish or need more likely to use major non-European providers. Uh, and there we are faced often with a lack of bargaining power. How do you see that translating in practice as between European small businesses needing to deal with major non-European providers? I, I think it's really the age-old problem, isn't it? I mean, I, I, when you're when you're a lawyer going through law school, you're sort of you know taught about the the issue of sort of battle of the forms, where a customer sends a supplier its terms and the supplier sends back it you know its terms in in response, and they argue between them as to whose terms prevail. And when you get to a situation where you have an imbalanced relationship with one very large party dealing with a very small party. The reality is that um, the large party is always going to prevail. You know, they're they're always going to do an out, and and you know the the terms they want to apply will be the terms that govern the service. And it's a very similar thing when you apply that to a data transfer context. You, you know, if you take a small business that's looking to engage, you know, a major tech company to process data and provide services to it. You know, we've already talked about some of the practical problems that. The small European business is not going to have the knowledge or the expertise or, or the, the money, frankly, to uh, to assess the laws of the different territories where it's exporting data to. So it will be very dependent upon its non-European service provider to to kind of solve those problems for it. And the flip side of that is that the, the non-European providers will simply turn around and say, well, we're confident that our, our services are safe. We're confident that you can send your data to us and, and that we provide adequate protection. And there's no real opportunity, no, no meaningful way for the small businesses to interrogate that. But it, even if they were to take issue with, um, with some, of the, some of the information provided to, by the, the larger providers, you, you know, the larger providers are simply going to turn around and say, well, well, this is our service. You either want it or you don't. You, know, you, you take it as is or you go elsewhere. And these days, 
everything is the cloud, right? So, you know, the, every business that is setting up or operating will be very heavily dependent on cloud services in order to, to operate. And, you know, and those cloud services are largely going to be provided by, uh, you know, typically US-led companies. And, and again, you know, you're just going to get into that situation. So really, I think small businesses are put into an impossible situation where on the one hand, they're being told that if they don't do this level of, you know, interrogation, risk assessment, ensuring all these supplementary measures are in place, that they're non-compliant with law. On the other hand, if they simply walk away from these services, then they have no business. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of dependence put on the the big tech companies to to step up to the plate. And uh, you know the good news is I suppose it's in the interest of these big tech companies if they want to compete, if they want to attract business, to provide the assurances that smaller businesses are, are looking for. But I, I there will always be that imbalance. I mean, I mean, what do you think? Do you do you find that uh, bigger players and regulators acknowledge that compliance is a challenge for smaller businesses, or, or do you think that's just overlooked? I think in terms of the bigger players, like, like you said, the clientele of the bigger players is, you know, uh, the small small players and the mid players. So I think there is an acknowledgement on their side that they do need to make it easy for them to, to use their services. Uh, but there is also, and I appreciate that from, from, from the perspective of the other side, that there's the practical hurdle that they need to show that their own compliance is implemented in an orderly way. And they're obviously also under scrutiny a lot more um, due to their size. So I think it's, it's basically what you said that, you know, the large party will prevail because they just can effectively. Um, now, what I do find more interesting is in the context of the regulators that here, my initial reaction effectively is to say that no, um, the regulators don't on some level show that acknowledgement in that the rules are in place. And as you say, um, they effectively put these businesses in an impossible position since you know, there, is no, there are no exemptions and there is no de minimis uh, rule in terms of who, who these requirements apply to. Having said that, I do think it's important to keep in mind, both as advisors, but also as businesses, um, two, two key points. I think the one is just the fact that international transfers today and given how connected it is um as you mentioned everything is on the cloud it it means that it's a very slippery thing to regulate <laughs> so i think it's good to look at this as a work in progress and in this context we are seeing i believe some steps being taken to smooth out the wrinkles that are being faced um so i think you know the new standard contractual clauses released in 2021 um took some steps to lift some uh, difficulties that everyone was facing in terms of their use and to make it you know more user friendly um i think also the extent of guidance and practical examples given by the regulators um, especially when you compare that to other fields of regulation that is um actually quite easy to to digest um and that to me shows that there is recognition that the consumers of that guidance are not going to be niche privacy lawyers, but they they may actually be a wide range of non-lawyers that also need to get on top of the issues. Um, the second point to mention is that we have to accept that a decision has been made at a policy level for one reason or other for these 
transfers to be more strictly regulated across the board for all sizes. So when we speak of acknowledgement of the challenges from the regulators, we shouldn't really be looking that, at that from the lens of expecting the requirements to be rolled back. That, of course, does raise the question as to why there is a push to regulate transfers of personal data so strictly in the first place. We will be talking about this and other key considerations arising from the requirements around international transfers during the second part of this discussion to be aired during the next episode of Expert Review. To all our listeners, if you're interested in further information, we cover data privacy and other interesting topics on the Harney's regulatory blog. You can also visit Fieldfish's Privacy, Security and Information Law blog, which focuses, as its name suggests, on all matters privacy, security and information law. Thank you again for joining us today and we hope to see you on our next episode.